The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 106. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the animated series episode, The Lorelei Signal. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? We're well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hello, Jimmy. And welcome to a very special episode of Star Trek The Animated Series. (laughs) (laughs) It's an after-school special. Folks, if you're not yet subscribed to the show, please do so in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, on YouTube, on the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you can hit the bell to get notifications, and we're also on Spotify if you're looking for us there. Uh, so this is an animated series episode. We've, we've, this is, I think, the third animated series episode we've talked about. It might yes. be the fourth. Um, kind of cheap tech, keep track of that. But uh, so the, the basic plot, it, it, as short as these stories are, is that it's a the Enterprise is drawn to or lured to a planet populated by women uh, who only women who then uh, put the male crew members under some sort of influence or trance, and to the point where Uhura has to take command to rescue them and everyone. Which I, I do like Uhura getting oh, yeah. a chance to shine. Oh, absolutely, that's awesome. She doesn't so, mess around either when she's in command. <laughs> That's right. That's right. She's definitely shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think you horror should have got committed with ship at some point. That would have you been know, awesome. I love the obvious parallel of this this whole story though of, you know, the sirens from the Odyssey and right. other as a matter of fact the, the, the title, the Lorelei Signal, comes from the Lorelei, the rock on the Rhine River where supposedly there was a maiden who lured people in. They could hear her calling yeah. as they went past the rock. Right. Lorelei right. was a, in German legend was a siren who would lure uh, boatmen on the Rhine River to their doom. Right. Because they because they weren't just bad boatmen they, <laughs> or, or had been yeah, drinking exactly. night before. No, no. It must have been some other cause that caused them to crash their boats. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode was written by uh, Margaret Armin, who mm-hmm. also wrote three episodes of the original series. She wrote The Gamesters Ooh. of Triskelion. And the Paradise Syndrome and the Cloudminders, and yep. she will write another episode of the animated series, The Ambergris Element, which is one of my favorites because Kirk and Spock get to become fishmen. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead of just old men in this one, uh, yeah. So the 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 basically the, the we the the setup for this is. Uh, a starship disappears in this particular region of space every 27 years for the past 150 years. Yeah, and, and it's it, down it's to it's the exact. second. Yes. They're saying it's like, okay, ship disappearance time in five, four, three. T- it's like, wow, that's really... 
they really keep track impl- of their ships. implausibly <laughs> precise that there would happen to be a ship here to disappear at that very second every 27 point something years. Well, yes, that too. Yeah. So, uh, so the Enterprise has been dispatched to figure out what's going on. Um, and they get, you know, the, the moment, the moment comes and they get some sort of subspace radio signal. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just I, I can't help but, ne- but notice these uh, now. You mean like a subspace radio signal? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So the signal comes from a star system twenty light years away. The Taurian system. Yeah. So it's apparently a a very indistinct region. Like it's a very large region of space. Apparently, mm-hmm. where these disappearances occur, like the Bermuda Triangle, not like a very specific spot. Spot. Sorry. Spot. <laughs> not spot. <laughs> <laughs> so. Kirk, Spock, and Scotty on the bridge, as they hear it, said it sounds like a summons to them. Uh, but Uhura says, I don't hear anything. Like, it just sounds like musical noise. Yeah. And I like how Uhura you know, gets suspicious immediately of right. what other people are doing and tells Nurse Chapel to observe the men, like keep an eye on them. It's right. like right yeah. off the bat, Uhura is suspicious and, and you know, preparing for her insurrection. Well, well, the, the the fact that even Spock is being affected by it, I think, is probably what really keyed her off. It's like, okay, the guy who's like, you know, emotionless, all of a sudden he's feeling drawn to this. There's something not right here. Uh, that's yeah. actually the thing I remember from being a kid when I saw this on the air. I, I a lot of it, a lot of these animated ones come back to me as I rewatch them. But mm-hmm. I only going in, I typically only have a, a memory or two of a particular episode. And other than remembering this is the one where all the men get loopy, so the women have to save the day. <laughs> the thing that I remember from this one is Spot comparing the sound of the signal to a Vulcan marriage drum. And we <laughs> yes. even we even see in his like a bit we see into his mind of a, like a Vulcan woman playing the marriage drum. And that's what I remembered from this episode as a kid. That's the specific image. It's like, oh, cool background on Vulcan culture. Yep. <laughs> fills out a fills out a muck time a little bit. This is what would have happened. Yes, uh, Kirk, for his part, sees a woman holding a flower, and McCoy sees magnolias and blossom. <laughs> I'm not sure why magnolias <laughs> and blossom seem alluring to him, but uh, you know, no, 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 no. I whatever totally get about. that. I, I mean, what? it. I don't know if they have. Uh, magnolia trees up in Massachusetts, but down south, magnolia trees are pretty, and they yes. have these white flowers that smell lemony, and it's Ooh, this okay. very sweet lemony smell. And so, and people associate magnolias with summertime and romance and things like that. Okay, it's the romance connection that I, yes. I must have missed. Yeah. So they get to the planet. They 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 rush off, and uh, Kirk. Uh, decides that I have to beam down immediately. Yeah, although the men, even when they're on the bridge and they're hallucinating this stuff, they're aware that they're hallucinating. Right. Which yes. is which is interesting because they're having these images that are just coming to their minds, but they know the images are not real. Mm-hmm. But they still find them alluring, and I and right. that's that's neat that they have this yes. self awareness of what's going on. Well, even, even say, you know, I'm, ha- I'm experiencing, you know, Spock says I'm experiencing, you know, audiovisual hallucinations and Kirk says, yeah, I am, you know, I am too, you know, I'm seeing these things too. And it usually when people hallucinate like that, they, they tend to think it's real. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, they're not, they're aware, they're usually not aware of their dementia or whatnot, but yeah, they're aware of it, that, that it's not real. So they, 
they're going to beam down. The, the, the planet sort of appears on the screen where they couldn't see it before. And uh, so they're going to beam down, leave Scotty in command. Uh, and Uhura is still like, hey, Spock's sensor readings aren't right. There's something weird here. Because Spock's like, life readings are sparse and concentrated, which are those opposite things, sparse and <laughs> concentrated? Or maybe they're just like uh, concentrated in separate areas. Maybe that's what he means. I, I, was, I, I was a little yeah. worried about that. <laughs> so uh, he does, they, they beam down, they see this, you know, the beautiful, I've never seen anything so beautiful. Uh, but Spock retains enough self-awareness uh, still to recognize that they have some external compulsion on them. And he warns Kirk to stay back from this building. But Kirk's too far gone. He's he's off in La La Land. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the building, which they identify as a temple somehow, even though. <laughs> and yeah. it, it looks cool, but it doesn't scream temple to me. No. And we don't ever see any worship going on in it. So I don't know why it's a temple. But uh, it does contain lots of platinum blondes, so we've just come <laughs> yes. down to Planet of the Platinum Blondes. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, there and, is, and, and we there get... is a red shirt, by the way, who yes. never dies. I, I totally thought this guy was toast, <laughs> but he never dies, so nope. good for them. Yep. Also, we meet uh, Majel Barrett Roddenberry doing uh, the voice uh, for the head female, who introduces yes. herself by saying, I am Thela, the head female. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay nice hey, to meet you, you ma'am yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah they and they recognize they they call them by name kirk and spock and lieutenant carver um spock notices they look human but internally their bodies operate on an unusual psychokinesis level Ooh. and mccoy says first time i've admired a body function it's <laughs> <laughs> a you're a doctor so there's lots of body functions i'm sure you've admired before but Weird thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> he must be fun at parties. <laughs> Admittedly, he is under the influence, so. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's that's quite the pickup line, though. That's I find that really creepy, though. It's like, this looks like a beautiful woman, but inside it's not. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been pretty much par for the course in Star Trek, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it turns out their technology is Sonic-based, so maybe they're related to the Time Lords. Yeah. Gallifrey. Sonic screwdrivers. Uh, and by singing various tones, they control their devices, including something called the Opto Odd, which is uh, it's a walkie-talkie, <laughs> yeah, a well, C E talkie thing, or, or my Echo Show. Yeah, it's an Echo <laughs> Show, basically. It, you yeah. tell yeah. it what you want to see, and it shows it to you. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so, but you have to sing to it, like you have to sing for your supper. So during, so they have some entertainment, uh, including balancing large gems in their hands. The the ladies do. Yeah, it's uh, kind of like their version of spinning plates. Only it's like <laughs> spinning giant diamonds in your palms. And right, really slow paced party. But I guess the chemicals they're all on are making up for it. They're, they're just happy to be around the women. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they don't care what's some, going on. <laughs> some weird sixties hippie party. Uh, so they uh, the men start collapsing, and uh, Thela, the head female sheds a tear at their collapsing um she's there's something and they take them off to the slumber chambers which uh it, in other places we call them bedrooms but slumber chambers yeah. will work yeah they've also <laughs> said they, that the because our crewmen have asked where are your men and they said yes. oh they're in another compound but right. apparently we're going to find out that's a lie no yes uh so they they wake up in the slumber chambers and they're all wearing uh, uh some kind of headband that they can't remove and they've all aged uh, which the uh, animation 
is doesn't do a great job of mm. i mean they they, they kind of draw some wrinkles on it but it's hard to see that they've actually aged really but the you have to get it from dialogue i i kind of had the reverse effect i thought they they looked like they aged cuz they say they're aging at 10 years a day and mm-hmm. so at most they should be 10 years older but like wow these guys look much more than 10 yeah. years older to me i guess yeah yeah it, it was it was at first it was Without having read the transcript and the and the notes online, I, I I don't know if I as a kid I would have picked up that they that it, they had aged until it said they did. But but yeah, I guess so. Uh, I mean, ten years is not that long. I mean, I don't look that well, much especially older. when Kirk would be what in his late thirties, early forties. Right. He he's he's yeah. in his mid thirties at the time of the original series, so he should he should be no more than about forty five <laughs> to forty eight after a day on this planet. That's yeah. some rough living there, uh, Kirk. So, uh, well, so Chapel, <laughs> in fairness, <laughs> yes, it's fair. I'm saying that's what I'm saying. He's got a tough life. So Chapel and Uhura, they, they s- compile all the scientific data uh, c- uh, gathered by the female science teams, because you can't trust any of the male science teams at this point. They're off in La La Land. Including, and the computer including says, Scotty singing as yeah. sitting on the bridge singing. Right, right, right. An extended uh, scene, sequence of Scotty singing a Welsh ballad, by the way. Well, before we get to that, there's some nice stuff. Before Uhura actually takes command, she starts giving orders. And she says, like, because the men have beamed down and she recognizes this is going to be a problem. The men on the ship are under the influence. They're going to start wanting to beam down, too. And, in fact, that is part of the plan of the Torian women. Right. Is all the men are going to beam down over time. And so Uhura's first order is, I want an all-woman security team on every transporter immediately. And they don't yes. really go into that, but the purpose is to keep the men from beaming down. And then Uhura takes formal command, which is awesome. It's not yep. the first time that a woman has had command of the Enterprise. That actually goes all the way back to the cage, the original pilot, when number right. one took yep. command. So yep. and of course it's pointed out Janice Lester also had command in Turnabout Intruder, but that doesn't count, right? But uh, I like how Uhura does that. Then Kirk down on the planet says we got to get out of the temple, and Thela has the greatest line. <laughs> it's, it's the most wonderful line ever in the history of Star Trek. Kirk says <laughs> we must go, and they start towards the door, and Thela says obstruct them, <laughs> <laughs> obstruct, <laughs> obstruct them. What a great command. <laughs> <laughs> yes and, and they start throwing them around like rag dolls yeah. the the, uh, the enterprise men and then we get up to scotty singing in what turns out to be welsh i mean i yes. assumed it was gaelic but it's actually welsh it's a welsh folk song called and i won't say this right but ear hoofen melon which means the yellow cream mm. and this is a moment where the episode kind of grinds to a halt because right. there's a, you know, normally in these 22 minute episodes or 24 minute episodes, whatever they are, they give us what would be the A story from a typical right. episode and they omit the B story. Mm-hmm. But this one, the A story itself is a little short because we've got significant padding in this yeah. with long yeah. shots of the inner, unusually long shots of the Enterprise slowly drifting across the screen with the planet in the background and this thing and that happens in this scene with scotty singing we first see a long shot of the enterprise drifting and while he's singing and then we see him singing on the bridge and the whole thing lasts over a minute i mean that's Mm -hmm. like five percent of the episode 
Yes. Can, can I say though that James Duhan, Duhan had had a wonderful singing voice though. <laughs> yes, I mean, it did. really is incredible. He's got that great tenor. But anyways, yeah, better was, than Ensign Riley. <laughs> better than Riley. Yeah, better, better than Riley. Oh yeah. No, but it, it was a. It, it, I agree, with Jimmy. It's, it's obvious that they 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 put the episode together, and you know, maybe the song was a part of the original plan. Maybe it wasn't. But they kind of went, yeah, we're at twenty minutes, and we still need another two or three minutes. How do we do this? Because yeah, there are a couple of points. Although it does kind of play into the story too, though, because it shows the mindset of the men at that point, where they're just like, well, we really don't really go anywhere. I mean, when when Ahura takes command, oh, that would be lovely, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Very thoughtful of you, love. Yeah. Uh, So on the surface, again, the uh, the uh, the the men there know something is wrong, and they they. McCoy dips into his uh, med kit um, for a stimulant to help them fight the effects of whatever it is they're do- being done to them, and and that help that helps them make a jailbreak uh, with beautiful women in hot pursuit, and then they <laughs> they go they go hide in an urn, uh, probably, giant urn. Giant probably the urn. only time, probably probably the only time that Kirk ran away from a beautiful woman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get away from me! I don't want the beautiful women near me. So Spock surmises that the headbands are transferring their vital energies to the bodies of the women when they are near. And he reasons that since he's longer lived and stronger, he should be the one to go back and find their communicators. Yeah. Also, and part of how he figures that out is the headbands glow when the women are around. Yeah. So they can tell when the women are in proximity by whether their headbands are glowing. And... I like how they realize that the women are basically life force vampires. Yes. But 10 years a day? Come on. You're gonna, they say they're going to be dead in four days? It's like, guys, this is the what's happened to 23rd century medicine. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy lives to at least 140 at some point, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Spock goes back into the temple, sneaks back in, and he uses the opt-odd which he makes a very good approximation of Thela's singing, by the way. I thought for sure Thela had come in behind him and sang. He hit that high note really well. And uh, he, he gets the opt-odd to tell him where the communicators were, which is very handy. Mm-hmm. And, and calls, calls the Enterprise. Calls the Enterprise uh, before he's found and collapses. Uh, so Uhura leads an all-female rescue team to uh, beam down, and they, they stun the Lorelei women. Yeah, this I thought was a flaw in the writing because he he requests an all female security rescue party, which makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then Uhura in her in her voiceover log, or maybe maybe she says it in maybe she says it diegetically. I forget. But what Uhura says is, "We're taking down an all female rescue party in accordance with Spock's request." Yes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like a clunker of a line, because it's like, you didn't need Mr. Spock to tell you that. You (laughs) you already figured out you need all women security teams on the transporters. Obviously, the rescue party needs to be all female. So I kind of thought that and it's probably not misogynism, especially given that this is by a female writer. It's probably deference to Spock's rank. Yeah. Right. But I still find it kind of off-putting. It's like just just it's just like oh no duh Mr. Spock will be bringing down all an all women well, rescue party. And I, yep. I mean it, I I I think that that latter words it's in deference to his rank because she phrases it as a request not an order. Right, right. Cuz by true. his rank he would have been in position to off you know issue an order but she takes it as a request. Yeah. So and he's impaired anyway so his yep. orders would not necessarily 
carry all, all the weight they would. So the the female all female rescue team, which is, I want to get a t shirt that says that uh, they beam <laughs> down and uh, they are confronted by the the head female who tells uh, tells them you are not welcome here. Well, too bad, and they shoot yeah. and stun them all. They drop like rocks, and then uh, they they split up into teams of two to go look, and they can't find them. So Spock, now this is interesting. Spock yeah. communicates with Christine Chapel telepathically so she can find him. Interesting connection here we've got between Nurse Chapel and Spock. Well, it didn't um, work out with Depraying, and she's obviously interested. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wonder. I mean, it makes you think that maybe there was a more to their relationship than we were told. On so, the other uh, hand, the less speculation about Spock's romantic life in Star Trek fandom, oh. the better. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes. Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's never talk about that. <laughs> Uh, so they do get back to the ship and they were able to remove the headbands, uh, and then they have to, do, he, he tells them to re- divert all power to shields to block the signal, um, that, hoping that it will reverse the effects. It, it, it doesn't, it just stops it. Uh, on this, on the surface, Yohura's blasting stuff until Thela gives up the others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she like, she, Thela's like, I'm not telling you, and Uhura, see that vase? Zap, it's gone. You know, this this is Uhura disintegrates a vase as a prover that you better tell me what I want to know. And uh, then we have a, f- a film strip time where they watch a video that explains that their people came to the planet, but it drained humanoid energy. The women developed a glandular secretion that enabled them to survive and to manipulate certain areas of the men's brains to influence their emotional senses, ultimately draining the men. So they've developed it to parasites. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the women need to drain the men of their energy every 27 years. On the other hand, they are prisoners, too, because they neither age nor die nor bear children. And it's a uh, terrible existence. So an interesting sort of a, a, a metaphysical or, or philosophical uh, you know, a, a story here where, you know, it seems like heaven, but it's really uh, hell to, to, yeah. to live in this existence. Mm-hmm. So. Like vampires. Like yeah, it, I mean exactly. they're essentially yeah they're essentially it's they're a, a different kind of empire yeah, and and then someone finally because they they found Spock but not everybody else so someone yep. finally thinks to ask Alexa to show them where the men are and Alexa <laughs> yeah, can right. do, totally do that <laughs> like why didn't the Lorelai think of that one <laughs> where did the men go they're, they're drowning in the urn outside in the rain yeah but Kirk Kirk can't swim like it's filling up swim to the top. Well, he uh, is, you know, 48 years old at this point. <laughs> That's yeah. true. I mean, I'm, I'm a few years older than that. I can't hardly swim. So that may be it. So Chapel's un- unable to reverse the aging process until Spock suggests that the tra- oh, this Here is, we this, go. To me, this is the low point. Yep. The transporter holds their molecular pattern of their original bodies so they can beam down and beam back up again. If this worked, why wouldn't you use this as a fountain of youth? Yes. they Well, but they do this all the time. How many episodes of TNG are, well, let's run through the transporter and they'll be fine. Yeah. And, and specifically with aging, we have, uh, they use it to de-age Catherine Pulaski in Unnatural Selection. And then they right. use it to re-age the children yep. in Rascals. Yep. Right. Now, the, the, only, the only caveat with... The reason why it wouldn't be a fountain of youth, it's because they beam down young and beam back up old. It's not right. like they beamed out old and they had their pattern from 50 years ago to re- well, reconstitute them with. But you I'm know, saying, was- why wouldn't you just beam back up this? Uh, like every time you use a transporter, 
when you beam back up again, mm-hmm. just beam back up to that younger version. You'd always stay that age. Yeah, they, just, it just, they, just repairs they, the telomeres, and you're back to you know a few seconds, <laughs> a few seconds or days younger, and you, know, you the, stay that way. Of course, eventually they did kind of think of this, and basically they said, "Well, the patterns are so big, we can't really store them for more than a you know a right. little while." So it's not I like know. you could have a backup tape of Kirk era nine, you know, era thirty, age thirty, you know, something like that, you know. <laughs> oh, but no, okay, this I'm, is. I'm close to death. Just just plug this in and you know make me back to the as I was when I was thirty. This right. is this is where Star Trek would turn dystopian because what yeah. happens is rich people own the pattern buffer, own the backup drives of themselves, yeah. and so yeah. the you get two classes of people: those who can afford the otherwise technologically prohibitive regeneration procedure, and those who can't. So yep. the really rich and influential and key strategic individuals would get would be given immortality and everyone else would be left to die. Yep. Well, it's a good thing that in the future there is no money, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. except there there would there's always yeah. resource management. If oh, you're for- telling me that you have you have uh, pattern buffers that yep. are limited in their storage capacity and have alternative uses, well, we have a name for the study of the use of limited resources that have alternative functions, and that's called economics. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, and come and on, to, you, can, you can imagine Quark having a, a you know a pattern buffer oh, uh, yeah. repository on DS Nine. Yes, oh, yes, it's totally the Grand Nagus is going to have a pattern buffer of himself yeah. as a young man. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the curse of the transporter, isn't it? I mean, the, the curse from a storytelling uh, uh, standpoint. It, you've created this god machine mm-hmm. that in concept could practically do anything and now you've got to somehow limit it so that you don't destroy all your dramatic storytelling possibilities i I know if you really think about it i mean this has so many functions it cures anything it's an immortality device it also kills you and (laughs) it's a weapon just beam people out of existence yeah right and uh you could transport between dimensions i mean they've done everything with the transporter split people in half the the good and bad yeah, so I mean that, that this could actually be a very interesting discussion at some point where you know we talk about why the transporter is bad for Star Trek and why and in some senses why Enterprise by limiting their ability to use the the, the transporter what could well, have been made a better dramatic series. Well, in, uh, it, it's in that sense. you know it's been said you know Gene Roddenberry said this way back when when they did the series. The only reason why they invented the transporters for the series was because they didn't want to have shuttle shots for every episode. They wouldn't exactly. have to deal with you know having the shuttle take off and land for every episode. So this was just a quick way to get them on the planet. Because yeah. money. Exactly. Money, yes. I mean, if they had a TARDIS, they could have done that. That would have been, mm-hmm. you just had like a box that transported them places. That would have been mm-hmm. the thing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So uh, the resolution of this episode is that Uhura tells them that a, a ship with a crew of women will be back to transport them to a new planet where they will live normal lives. Obviously, a crew of, yes. Actually, one thing they did tr- kind of anticipate before we move on from the transporter, they did kind of anticipate yep. that problem because Uhura, I think it's Uhura, says that the odds of success in de-aging the men with it are yeah. ninety nine point seven to one, so right. it's there's really like a, a, a and that math doesn't quite work. It should be ninety nine point <laughs> seven to point three, right? Yeah, 
But let's give it, there's only a 1% chance this is going to work. So that would explain why we don't just do this all the time. Of course, it always works. (laughs) Of course, it always always works, yeah. Yes, no matter how slim the chances, it always works. Yeah, but but then, as you say, Uhura promises to send a ship with an all-woman crew back to relocate the women, which makes them much happier because this is a future much better than immortality. They're going to get to go age and have children, I guess. Yep. Yes. And not be vampires anymore. But it also raises the question, wait, you've been getting a ship every 27 years to the second, and it's never occurred to you to take that <laughs> ship to a less problematic planet? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was exactly my notes. You never thought to ask them to take you to somewhere else. They were under your control. You could just tell them to take you somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. But- it never occurred to them. Uh, yeah, I, although I the do have the, to, the, yeah. the alien planet they're on is pretty. The animation or the backgrounds mm-hmm. look pretty, but uh, still, you've true. already established you'd rather be somewhere else. You should have thought of this several <laughs> ships ago. <laughs> you've had 150 years to think about that. Uh, I, I do have to point out that when they when they do beam uh, Spock, McCoy, uh, Kirk, and uh, Carver back up to the ship, uh, Kirk says, "Did it work?" And Yura says, "You're more handsome than ever." Which is exactly what Kirk wants to hear. So yes, yeah. it should point that out. <laughs> All right, so that and that that brings our our short uh, animated episode to a close. Uh, we we cut, we mock, we make fun. I mean, there's there's plenty to to to, to joke about. But actually, I kind of like this episode. It was oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. even with the padding. I kind of like it as a uh, uh, just as a bit of an adventure. I I, I like to see Yuhora take command. Uh, so the, I, it it was not a bad episode for for the animated series. What about you guys? Father, oh, I, I agree completely. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it just, you know, again, when you, it, 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 and I know I said it before, you know, this is my first time really watching through the animated series and it, it amazes me how deep the storylines really can be for yeah. what was really considered to be a kid's Saturday morning cartoon. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's not, this isn't, you know, like full Trek, but it, it's, they're still doing, you know, somewhat in-depth storylines in a right. half an hour they're trying to put some work into it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's not just not just fluff you know like i, yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of had the impression that it was just just kind of fluffy storylines like no it's actually pretty good yeah no roddenberry was serious about i want this to be the best track we can make it in this format so they get to do things in the animated series they could never do on the in the original right. series and for star trek fans of which i was in the 70s it's like, okay, this is Star Trek again. We finally have right. Star Trek again. They're not just doing a kid show. This is right. You could have used these stories on the original series. They just have to be shortened for time. And so Kirk isn't going to get in, in the sack as much. <laughs> right. But other the core of the story is still one that that could have been used in the original series. So this is Star mm-hmm. Trek from that perspective. In a way, I, I, even though it's, uh, you know, of its time and the animation is pretty bad and actually the supervising animation producer was colorblind, which is why we have so much <laughs> right. pink and gray. Yes. <laughs> I kind of am a little apprehensive about the new animated series they're doing, Lower mm. Decks, which is apparently going to have a comedy element right. or angle that, th- that this didn't. And so in a way, this... Or the original animated series may feel more like real Star Trek than Lower Decks does. 
Well, there's so, lore decks, and then there's also kind of the the teen aimed cartoon that's be coming out at or animated series that's going to come out at some point as well. Yeah, you oh, know, right. so, the, so we'll have to see. I mean, I, it I, I'll be interested to see how those animated series compare to this one. I'm sure the animation will be much better, mm-hmm. but still, it, the, in terms of is it Star Trek? This is, and those may not be. Right. And speaking of this being Star Trek. So you asked about how we like this episode, Dom, and I like the episode, but I'm also ambivalent about the episode. <laughs> I mean, I love seeing Uhura in command. I love her take charge, get things done, blast this and, and you know, destroy urns and, and <laughs> policy. <laughs> I mean, she, she destroys two urns in the course, one big, one little in the course of this episode. So That's obviously right. she has very strong opinions about <laughs> Interior and garden decorations. That's right. I but I I love Uhura in this. I don't mind the problem of the the central thing of we've got these space vampires and everything. All that's okay. What I find problematic, or at least indifferent, is the gender stuff, because that's really the whole thing here, and it dates this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I right. it, it, it's incredibly implausible that you would have a, a planet that would even if even if you give them the original premise that you had these aliens come to this planet and it had an effect on them such that they all died but one sex was able to adapt I can give them that you know uh, yeah. here on Earth. Men are subject to various diseases that that women have an easier time surviving because our Y chromosomes are smaller and that double X chromosome gives you extra protection. Mm -hmm. So I can buy that, but it would then lead to them becoming vampires. I can give them that, but that it would be a sex-based life vampirism that affects the male gender, the opposite gender of every other species that they encounter <laughs> is right. okay. This is to, to quote the doctor from forbidden planet. This is contrary to the laws of every known law of adaptive evolution. Right? <laughs> right. This is just not what would happen scientifically. And so that means the only justification for this is we're doing what in drama is known as a problem play. A problem play. This is a genre that became common in the 19th century and into the 20th century that deals with a social problem, namely sexual relations, meaning how men and women relate in society in this case. And so that's the big point. It would be really horrible if they didn't have balance on this issue. You know, so you've got the women who are the vampires that are the problem, but you also have the women who are the Starfleet officers who are the solution. And so that saves it from being one sided women, right. women, yay or women, boo. Right. Um, which is what you tend to get, you know, today it would be women, yay. Women are the problem. Women, you know, girls rule and boys drool or whatever it is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But the fact here that you have balance, that at least, you know, saves it artistically from a certain point of view. But I'm a post-whatever child of my time, and it's like, who cares? Right. I I didn't grow up in this. I I mean, I grew up early enough to remember this episode on screen, but 
I have no problem with women commanders. Right. So this episode doesn't doesn't do much for me. It's kind of like, okay, yes, I recognize that they're playing with these themes that were common in the culture at the time. But these themes don't resonate for me because I have no problem with women commanders and I have it. It it just it doesn't make a a meaningful statement about women's roles to me because I've already accepted women in those roles. I grew up accepting them that way. Let, let, let's right. be fair. In 30 or 40 years, God willing, we're all still alive. Uh, the three of us are still alive. <laughs> so that's like three days from now. We'll be griping about issues we've complained about in Discovery. It's like, well, this shows the time that it was written and people don't care <laughs> about those issues anymore. You know, right. so yeah. I mean, it, 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 that's, that's it'll always the, be of its time. Well, that's that's the danger with, you know, science fiction, especially that they're as they're more concerned about the message they're trying to get out than actually telling the story. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but you know, there, there's danger. so many there's so many shows we've watched where it's message fiction versus science fiction. Yeah, and right. you know, and that's what happens is when you get past that point, go back and look at the you know the '80s where they always had to have like we joked about the Jimmy joked about the after school special. You know, I mean, they'd have the the special episodes of Alf or uh, Cheers different strokes. or different, different strokes, strokes right. where they always had the little you know, sappy outtake, you know, if you're dealing with this issue, there is help. And, you know, right. Right. Yeah. This is, some people will say, Oh, the thing science fiction does best is when it's commenting on social issues. And it's like, no, it's not. It's the, that's when science fiction is in most danger because it gets too on the nose, which is what you have in this episode. It is too on the nose. Right. And I adhere to Mark Twain's dictum that fiction must always preach implicitly and never mm-hmm. preach explicitly. Right. Because when you're preaching explicitly, you destroy the artistic value of it for the sake of your message. And that's what's to a significant degree happening in this episode. It's too explicit in the preaching it's doing. It should be much more subtle. So another episode that uh, that we'll be dealing with in the future, which is very explicitly about the male-female divide coming up on The Next Generation is yeah. Angel One. That does. Oh, even, I was thinking worse. of I was thinking of a different one, but yes, we have Angel One coming up. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's a terrible one. But okay, and uh, and there was yeah. going to be a similar thing on Doctor Who. There was a a story that was I don't know what stage it got to. I don't know if they fully scripted it or not, but it was called the Prison Planet, and it was mm-hmm. a second Doctor story. Uh, so you had Patrick Troughton as the doctor. Mm-hmm. Jamie and Zoe were his companions, and they encountered a phase of Earth history where women had taken over. And so the <laughs> doctor and Jamie are sent to this prison planet, being men, and Zoe is drawn into the ideology of the ruling women for a time. And mm-hmm. and you can listen to it now as an audio play with Wendy Padbury playing Zoe and Fraser Hines playing Jamie and the doctor, and he does a really good Patrick Troughton impression. Oh, that'd be a fun one to listen to. <laughs> but it's like, oh, man, this is more 60s gender politics message problem play episodes. Ugh, it's not my cup of tea. Right, <laughs> right. It, it, it is a problem oh. with a lot, it, it, oh. even more of a problem nowadays with, with a lot of uh, genre movies and TV where, they are, where it's all about a very particular message settled in a very particular cultural moment. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, and and uh, also in the prison planet, the supreme world ruler is Chairman Babs. 
<laughs> wow, Barbara Streisand really goes far. That's interesting. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, we should. We, we've. I think we've gotten far afield to here, so we should probably <laughs> wrap things up uh, on this one. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Simon M, Father Eric, Elizabeth E, Brian S, and Michael P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of the Lorelei Signal, this animated series episode? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash track, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to track at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a Next Generation episode, not Angel 1, thankfully, but The Offspring, which is very relevant to the most recent season of the Picard series. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, first time I've admired a body function. <laughs>